Do you remember the good old days when all you had to worry about was getting your homework done and getting home before curfew? Before you had to worry about jobs, projects, working, when you could long for a summer vacation and a winter break? Well, this is the podcast for when you realize that life can be hard. Hold on one moment. (sighs) Finally, he's gone. Last thing I need to hear is him plugging another podcast. Come take a listen to my show, Adulting Ain't Easy, every other Wednesday on the Journey into Comics Network. The following, the following, is a Journey into Comics, 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 Journey into Comics Network, 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 Network Production, Production. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the greenest episode of Poor 360. This is episode 21. I am your host, Andrew Poor, and the topic for this week is on a certain substance that's been slowly getting legalized across the country, um, one that a handful of people on the network uh, enjoy on a regular basis, and that is on weed or marijuana or whatever you want to call it there's a bunch of different names for it mary jane all that fun stuff but weed is probably the easiest one to talk about and that's what i thought about since illinois decided to um legalize recreational weed effective january 1 2020 that i would make episode 21 about it so now i know what you're thinking um having touched on this before Yes, I have touched on weed a little bit in the past, and that is regarding the legality and the criminality of using or smoking weed, dealing, all of that stuff. So, from a rec- from using on a regular basis, if you carry a small amount, and I think, yes, if it's still illegal and you're a carrier, regardless of the medical benefits, the health benefits, the the way some people do it for that don't have a medical uh, license to have it, yeah, should be punished. That's that's been my viewpoint. If you if you're caught, that's on you. You're taking a risk. It's like being under twenty one and drinking alcohol. Yes, it's probably not going to cause you any major problems, but if you're caught with it, you should still be punished. It's it is the law is the law. But now that it's now that it's legal, smoke to your heart's content. And I, I do think that from a pure economic standpoint, the Legalizing weed is going to cause tax revenue, which is always what states need, especially Illinois. It's going to cause um, probably the creation of more jobs as people need to do this to create the supply we need to sell it. You're going to see some people that are in jail or have records for carrying small amounts that will be expunged under this deal, which is great. You'll see a housing boom as people flock there. But as I guess... We've seen it in some of the states, the first states to do it have caused a lot of influx of people, which cause housing booms and the property values going up, which, as more states legalize it, it's going to probably even itself out, but it will cause some added economic benefit. It's going to cause some personal benefit that you don't have a... Something you did when you were young is not going to follow you anymore because it will be a sponged off your record. And if you are in jail for something, might not like that, it can be reevaluated and appealed, so... I definitely see a lot of positives coming out of this, and I will think it will cut down on drug-related crime, uh, drug-related gang issues, because once you make it legal, and you can go to, like, 
equivalent of a Seven Eleven to get it, going to a shady back alley or meeting in like a back of a Walmart parking lot to is not going to be as necessary. Which I guess if you're a drug dealer, that kind of sucks for you. But find a new job. You don't need to be a drug dealer. Move on. So, but that's my point. If you're a drug dealer, more power to you. But get a real job, I guess. That's just my two cents on it. So, but we're talking about weed here, and like I've, I touched on in the beginning, couple minutes of this is on recreational versus met, uh, medicinal. So I guess to jump into that, let's do about what the difference is between recreational and medicinal marijuana. So there's an article from uh, Leafly regarding the difference between medical and recreational cannabis. So in 2012, Colorado and Washington became the first state to legalize recreational cannabis. Since then, obviously, it's, and I'll go over that later. I have a map of the marijuana legalization by state. So we'll get into that. So before that, cannabis was legal in certain states, only those with qualifying medical conditions. As more states fall in Washington and Colorado's footsteps, recreational or adult use have become the commonly used terms for personal cannabis consumption that isn't exclusively for medical purposes. But beyond the distinction of consumer intention, what other difference exists between medical and recreational cannabis? So the shopping experience is one that's different. So when it comes to shopping experience itself, medical and recreational shops tend to offer similar experiences. Qualified medical marijuana patients present both their ID and prove they're legally old enough to purchase cannabis as well as their valid medical cannabis card. Some medical shops will have a waiting room where patients are called in one at a time to ensure privacy. So that's nice. Oftentimes recreational stores have to provide medical advice to customers, although you can still shop at them as a medical patient. Some shops are also dual licensed, meaning they can cater to the needs of both recreational and medical consumers. They also offer discounts and tax breaks to medical patients, so that's nice. Uh, medical dispensaries and dual licensed shops are best equipped to answer patient questions, especially those that provide education opportunities for their bud tenders, such as seminars and certifications. Uh, don't forget to explore multiple dispensaries until you find one with a well-trained staff that you connect with. Um, as for selection, they tend to be very little different between medical and recreational menus. As either store type, you're found to find the shelves full of various edibles, drinkables, vaporizers, topicals, strains, and concentrates. I didn't know there was a drinkable one. That's interesting. I've heard of edibles. I've heard of vaporizers. I've heard of... Well, not really... Topicals is another one that's a little interesting. I guess it's like a cream, then? If it's a topical... So, different... Different strokes for different folks, I guess. So, different states, different perks. So... Medical patients may receive certain perks not available to recreational consumers. They generally include lower costs and taxes, higher THC potency limits, higher quantity restrictions, uh, legal access to minors in approved medical cases, so cancer and epilepsy. If you have those, you have a medical card, you can get access at a younger age as opposed to the standard age. Medical patients may be allowed to grow their own cannabis or are permitted a higher plant count than recreational consumers, so that's good. And how are medical and recreational cannabis perceived differently? So social stigma and perception further bolden the dividing line between medical and recreational cannabis. As a greater percentage of Americans support medical cannabis than recreational adult use, using cannabis for enjoyment is still somewhat taboo in the public eye. Although you don't need to be suffering a severe disease to find wellness benefits in casual use. For example, when a state legalizes recreational cannabis, a consumer might fall in love with fall in love with the easy access to a variety of high-quality strains and only discover an infused topical that works wonders on a chronic condition. Or a healthy adult might find the low dose uh, helps alleviate daily stress and anxiety. 
As new products and medicines with a wide range of benefits come to the market, these have become a fan of both recreational and medical cannabis. It's only a matter of time before state laws come to reflect that. So, a lot of very good points there. You can see that there is the added benefit. I have been to states where it is legal for work, and I've seen dispensaries, and they all look kind of almost like you'd see like a random, like a like a mom and pop bar or kind of a a craft beer type place. It's kind of very chic and in vogue and kind of artsy and but i think more petty i think a lot of people do seek this out for stress i know still it's a fed legal thing you have to still be mindful that you're out with your employer because it is something that if you have it in your system if it's a state that has like recreational use they can still choose to not hire you or fire you based on that because you still need to be present in that i know until i think they can make a test the same way it is with alcohol, where if it's if it's in your system within 24 hours of the test or something, that's when it flares up, not like weed, where I think it's like a month or two months, which I think a lot of people wouldn't be able to pass. Now, what you can find, um, like I said, that there are states that have that have legalized and they find that your employer can still harm it. There are still people that have that stigma out there that believe that having the access to it is just a gateway that leads to harder drugs, more difficult, um, more negative consequences in your life. Like, oh, if you smoke weed today in a month, they're going to be on to heroin, which I think is a big extreme. I even saw something like that on Facebook today about someone saying after Illinois legalized it that this is only going to affect crime more because these are going to start going to push harder drugs and more kids are going to, like, I'm not going to lie, I have smoked weed in my life. I think a lot of people have, whether they've claimed to do it now or in the past. And I've never once said, oh, I, what's what's better than this? I do it very regularly. I know there's people, some people who smoke weed daily or multiple times a day, which seems a bit extreme, but everyone has their own different case and everyone's dealing with their own problems that they need to alleviate that with either drugs or alcohol. And... Yes, there's days where I'll have at least a beer or two um, a couple times a week, and that's what, as a someone over 21, I have the right to do. So everyone has their own things differently, and I think thinking that it's a gateway, there's plenty of people I know who smoke weed that have never gone past that, nor would I, nor would I see them do it. I'm sure there are some that, oh yeah, you did... You smoked weed when you were a teenager, and now you're on to do hard. But I think that was the direction you were on anyway. It, what weed wasn't the wasn't the part. And I'm sure it's something like they probably the reason that probably got called a gateway drug is like they may have pulled not pulled people they may have pulled data from people who were on harder stuff now and asked like what they started with and like oh maybe I smoked cigarettes and I smoked weed like oh well that's got why you here not. Oh, I did this, this, this. I was exposed. Like, there's not a lot of information there. I think that's where we get that that negativeness from. It's probably from extrapolated data that is not a direct correlation in this case. Like I said, I was going to talk about the map of where it's legal, and I know this is as of May, and I know we'll Illinois will be added to this list later. So I'm going to run down the list here of all the states. So Alabama, southern state, fully illegal. No, no medicinal. No recreational, it's not decriminalized. Alaska, fully legal. 
So you can have medicinal, you can have recreational, you have the options there. Arizona, you do have medicinal, but that's it. It's not decriminalized. Um, Arkansas, same way. California, fully legal. Colorado, fully legal. Connecticut has medicinal in a slightly reduced... It's not. It's slightly decriminalized, which is good. Delaware is the same way. Another one kind of in the Northeast. District Columbia is fully legal. Florida is just as medicinal right now. Uh, Georgia... Um, medicinal only CBD oil. Uh, it's not legalized recreationally. That's the extent of it. Hawaii has medicinal, just medicinal. Idaho is fully illegal. Illinois has medicinal, and as of January of 2020, will be uh, fully legalized recreationally. Uh, Indiana just has CBD oil. Iowa just has CBD oil. Kansas is fully illegal. Uh, Kentucky is fully illegal. Louisiana just has medicinal. Maine is fully legal. That's surprising. I figured the Northeast is a little stuffier, but it is Maine. It's a little more kind of in the the boonies of the Northeast. Uh, Maryland has medicinal and a slightly reduced for the decriminalization. Uh, Massachusetts is fully legal. Michigan is fully legal. Minnesota is um, mixed. They have medicinal... And reduced for the decriminalized. Um, Mississippi is fully illegal, but they do have the reduced to decriminalized. So they have lightened the rules, but it's still fully illegal in terms of medicinal and recreational. Missouri has medicinal and reduced for the uh, decriminalized. Uh, Montana has medicinal, just that. Uh, Nebraska is fully illegal. Uh, Nevada is fully legal. New Hampshire has medicinal. New Jersey has medicinal. New Mexico, New Mexico, New York, both just have medicinal. North Carolina is fully illegal. North Dakota has medicinal. Ohio has medicinal. Oklahoma has medicinal. Oregon is fully legal. Pennsylvania has medicinal. Rhode Island has medicinal and reduced for um, decriminalized. South Carolina is fully illegal. South Dakota is fully illegal. Tennessee is fully illegal. Texas just has CBD oil. Utah has medicinal. Vermont is fully legal. Virginia just has CBD oil. Washington State is fully legal. West Virginia just has medicinal. Wisconsin is fully illegal. Wyoming is fully illegal. And that's the list. Now, as you can see... It's definitely lighted up in a lot of areas. You can see that parts of the South and Northeast are still medicinal only or fully illegal, as well as like out West in the like Idaho, Iowa, all of that is still kind of in that area. But you can actually see that as this legalization goes up, we've seen the sale uh, of U.S. marijuana sales have actually tripled. Or they actually made triple to $30 billion by 2023, according to the Motley Fool. So, recreational pot growth leads the way, but the black market sells a vice grip on the bulk of U.S. cannabis sales. Okay? So, this is an article, obviously, from the Motley Fool. They kind of do uh, stocks, financing, all that kind of stuff. I have two articles from them about investing and the marijuana sales. So... Unless you've been living under a rock, there's plenty of good chance you've heard about the once-in-a-generation investment opportunity that is... That is the legalized marijuana industry. According to Bank of America analyst Christopher Carey, the cannabis industry could one day offer peak annual sales potential of 130, 
166 billion dollars and disrupt industries that currently total 2.6 trillion in yearly sales considering that only two countries worldwide have okayed recreational weed and just over 40 have legalized medicinal marijuana the ceiling for the industry is still a ways off but when it comes to the biggest individual market opportunities within the marijuana industry the united states takes the cake or should i say pot brownie per care the u.s should would account for 30 percent of the 166 billion peak annual sales based on its firm modeling. So the U.S. pot sales will triple over the next five years. However, a new report sheds light on some, just how fast the U.S. cannabis market is growing, as well as how much opportunity is still being lost to illicit marijuana channels. The past week, Marijuana Business Daily, or MBD, published its seventh annual Marijuana Business Factbook, which details sales projections for the legal cannabis industry in the U.S. between 2018 and 2023 including an estimation of the breakdown between medical weed sales and recreational pot. According to the report, which breaks down revenue projections into ranges rather than a specific figure, here's how the sales are expected to progress over the next five years. So in 2018, we will see $8.6 billion to $10 billion. In 2019, we'll see $11.2 billion to $13.7 billion, $15.7 billion to $19 billion in 2020. 2021, we'll see $19.4 to $23.5 2022 to 22.4 to 27.4, then 2023, 25 to 30.4 billion. So regardless of you're looking at a top or bottom end sales, the gist is that between 2018 and 2023, we can see legal pot revenue essentially triple the United States, perhaps even hitting a $30 billion mark. Additionally, the overall economic impact of the cannabis industry on the U.S. should rocket from $39 billion to $48 billion in 2019 to more than $100 billion by 2023. An inside look at marijuana medical sales projections through 2023. So, even though, even more telling is where the growth will come from. First, let's take a look at the projected medical marijuana sales by year. So, we'll see, um, basically, through 20, this is an older article, this was last year. So, 2018 was 3.3 to 3.8. The current year run was 4.2 to 5.2. And we'll see 2023 from 6.9 to 8.4. So you know that the medical cannabis sales began to taper off after, from a growth standpoint after 2021. The report notes that since 33 states have already legalized medical pot in some capacity, the opportunity to grow sales from new legalization is waning, especially considering that many of the remaining non-legal marijuana medical states have no intention of legalizing. The revelation is a tad bit disappointing from the perspective of pot stock investors considering the medical marijuana patients tend to use weed products and buy more than adult use consumers, like I said, adult use, same as recreational. So medical patients are typically more willing to purchase higher margin derivatives, oils, topicals, vapes, infused beverages, concentrates, edibles, and so on, than adult use consumers typically stick to the standard smoking weed. So the U.S. recreational market is the marijuana industry's workhorse. Furthermore, as you'll note, in the recreational marijuana sales figures by year, medical patients in certain states no longer have to go through traditional channels, seeing a physician being prescribed cannabis to get their hands on marijuana. This discourages medical marijuana sales and promotes recreational revenue. So here's how the adult use market is shaping up over the next five years. So we're seeing 5.3 to 6.2 in 2018. 2019, we'll see 7 billion to 8.5. In 2023, 18.1 to 22. So the projection says that recreational marijuana revenue will more than triple in the U.S. over the next five years, providing the bulk of the sales growth for cannabis companies. Specifically, sales in California should continue to expand, with Arizona expected to legalize adult-use pot in 2020. Meanwhile, adult-use sales is more established, legalized states, such as Colorado, Washington, and Oregon should advocate, but slowly, but slow considerably from years past, 
California remains the most lucrative of all states, with some estimates on Wall Street forecasting up to $11 billion in annual sales in the Golden State by the end of the next decade. So the black market, although, remains massive. Despite the incredible growth rate, Marijuana Business Factbook also alludes to the enormous black market that continues to operate behind the scenes. As much as state legislators would like to believe that providing a legal pathway to cannabis sales will eliminate illicit production, this simply isn't the case. MBD Special Report finds that the black market currently accounts for between 50 and $60 billion in annual sales, assuming the cannabis were being sold through legal channels. In the United States, although more sales is likely to shift in the legal market as the new states legalize in some capacity, as well as some grow organically, shifting the pendulum towards legal channel sales is the primary means of marijuana purchases in the U.S. won't be easy. The big problem is that legal marijuana simply can't compete with the black market cannabis on price. Consumers usually have to pay state and local taxes as well as an excise tax on recreational marijuana purchases. On top of this, businesses typically lose time and money waiting for state regulators to approve cultivation, processing, distribution, and or sales licenses. And should these businesses be profitable, their home state and the federal government should collect income tax on their profits. As I see on the cake, since marijuana is a Schedule One drug, cannabis are subject to Section 280E of the U.S. Tax Code, thereby disallowing normal corporate business deductions aside from the cost of goods sold. This can lead to exceptionally high effective tax rates for profitable pot companies. Comparatively, black market producers and consumers won't pay one cent in state or local tax or excise tax. Growers also don't have to wait for the official go-ahead from state regulators to produce or sell marijuana. And lastly, there are no state or federal tax implications since everything is being conducted under the table. Mind you, that is this is all illegal, but none, nevertheless, not deterring a $50 billion to $60 billion underground cannabis economy. So, uh, California is the perfect example of an illicit market haven. California has been especially stark example of the black market's vice group on sales. The Golden State's forecasted tax revenue came in at about half of the initial estimate in 2018. Its first full year of legal adult use sales, at the heart of the shortfalls, is an up to 40% aggregate tax on cannabis in some locales, which has made legal marijuana's program price substantially higher than the black market. For example, even though MedMen Enterprises, which trades on the NASDAQ, increased revenue by 20% in the third quarter from the sequential second quarter, much of its sales growth came from acquisitions in Arizona and Nevada. In MedMen's California location, sequential quarterly sales growth uh, tallied a measly 5%. Since Medmen hasn't mentioned anything noteworthy with regard to statewide supply issues in its past operation, operating result press releases, my suspicion is that it's contending with the pushback of consumers being unwilling to pay inflated legal prices. That's a problem considering that Medmen is losing a lot of money on an operating basis right now. And California isn't alone. Even the legal industry in Canada has struggled to retake market share from the black market. Despite a reasonably low excise tax of just 10% on recreational marijuana, since there's no precedence on legalization, there's also no roadmap to how best to contend with ridding the market of a list of producers and retailers. Suffice to say, even as illegal channel sales grow, the black market should continue to thrive too throughout the U.S. and North America. So, that's some good points on that. Um, like I said, you can invest. There is, since we're seeing some growth in there, um... There are different types of cannabis stocks that you can invest if you are so that you can look at like Robinhood or other um, stock keeping apps. Um, so there are two types of cannabis products, like I said, medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. Um, uh, cannabidiol or CBD is a uh, cannabinoid that is different than the psychoactive Delta 9 tetra 
hydrocannabinol, cannabinol, or THC. So know the different types of marijuana stocks. We have marijuana growers like Canopy Growth Corporation, cannabis-focused biotechs like GW Pharmaceuticals, provider of supporting products and services like Scott's Miracle Grow, and then you have to understand the risks of investing in marijuana stocks. So legal and political risks, supply and demand imbalances, risk in those that are over-the-counter stocks. Know what to look for in a marijuana stocks. So normal stock situation, including management, team, growth strategy, competitive position, financials, um, cannabis production costs, like the all-in cost of sales per gram, cash cost per gram, and there's Canadian companies. So evaluate the top marijuana stocks and exchange-traded funds. So you have marijuana companies like Canopy Growth, Aurora Cannabis, uh, uh, Tilray and uh, Aferia. Then you have biotechs like GW Pharmaceuticals, Cara Therapeutics, and Insys Therapeutics. Then you have ancillary providers like Scott's Medical Grow. You have ETFs like Horizons Marijuana Life Sciences ETF and ETF MG Alternative Harvest ETF. And I think I did try investing in Canopy Growth when I had Robin Hood. I got out of it and I got out of it when it dropped. And yeah, it's just, it's not something I'm comfortable doing right now in my life. So, but if you want to buy it, that's just something to do some research on. And you've actually seen that this is actually even kind of, the weed has kind of got into some hot water with Google recently. As you see that Google is now booting marijuana delivery apps from its Google Play Store. So this is an article from just a few days ago. And that is on this past Wednesday, Google announced its Play Store would be suspending weed delivery apps but other types of cannabis apps may also be affected. So, on Wednesday, the Google Play Store quietly updated its terms of service to prohibit marijuana delivery apps, or in its parlance, apps that assist users in arranging delivery or pickup of marijuana, and apps that facilitate the sales of products containing THC. It's unclear what motivated the policy update, though the blog Android Police speculated that it's part of a larger trend of Google editing its Play Store to be more overly family-friendly with the Product manager for Google Play publishing a blog post about building a safer Google Play for kids. As recently earlier this week, Buzz, but as many reports indicated, the policy updates does not bode well for popular weed delivery app like Ease, E-A-Z-E, and Weed Maps, um, which, while still currently available on the Google Play Store, will likely have to remove their in-app ordering service in order to remain on the platform. Google Actions make it harder for legal adults to purchase legal cannabis, which is not good for anyone, says David Mack. Senior Vice President of Policy and Public Affairs at Ease. He told Rolling Stone, People will wonder why and who they're trying to help here. Is it trying to protect their bottom line? Who can say? But we're concerned by the general trend that adults are prevented from buying legal things via apps. In the email to Rolling Stone, a Google spokesman clarified that the new marijuana policy does not apply to marijuana-related apps in general, just to those that sold cannabis. These apps will need to move to the shopping cart flow outside of the app itself to be compliant with the new policy. We've been in contact with many of the developers and are working with them to answer any technical questions and help them implement the change without consumer customer disruption. The Google sources said that developers like, behind apps like Ease have 30 days to comply with the new terms of service. And the Google Play will continue to host a wide range of marijuana-themed apps on their platform. So Google's new policy updates comes at an interesting time. Although legalization of cannabis is increasingly gaining mainstream acceptance, 66 of the U.S. population currently agrees that cannabis should be legalized nationwide according to one poll. There's been increasing pressure on the tech behemoth to scrub non-advertiser-friendly content from its platform. YouTube and Trickle has garnered much criticism for hosting, among other things, extremist conspiracy theory-oriented content, as well as disturbing videos targeted at children. So it's not clear whether Google's new policy update is a direct response to such critiques. It is clear, however, that the, this policy change is a part of a larger trend of tech companies 
not quite knowing how to reconcile the recent explosion of the cannabis market with the tenuous and widely variable legal status of the plant itself. Earlier this week, for instance, eBay stated that it would continue to ban the sale of CBD products on its platform. As much as Google and Apple consumers may have to demonstrate an interest in cannabis-related content, big tech isn't necessarily in the position to meet the, that demand right now. There's more and more states mall legalization that's likely to change in years to come. And then I have, uh, before I wrap it up here, I have two more articles that I found kind of interesting and worth discussing. And this is one from the Denver Post. Like I said, Colorado is, was one of the first states, one of the bigger states in the legalization. And they're actually at a marijuana milestone. Colorado will allow a delivery and tasting room soon under new laws, but with some big catches. Both measures will take effect in January and leave a lot of decision-making to local governments. So, sorry, next year, Colorado marijuana customers could begin setting their purchase delivered at home, like pizza, and people seeking to use marijuana socially, including tourists, of a few options of where to go, could consume what they buy in tasting rooms or bring your own pot establishments. And I don't know if it'll come up here, but I actually did see, when I was in Denver for work, that they do have uh, B&Bs or Bud and Breakfast. So it's, uh, or is it Bed and Bud? I can't remember. It's basically a Bed and Breakfast that also has marijuana. So it is getting out there. Um, but there's a big catch. Both will depend on whether your local government has opted in. That means it's not up to mayor, city council members, and county commissioners, and potentially local voters decide whether they want to allow consumption spaces in marijuana delivery within their borders. But signing the two bills into law Wednesday, Governor Jared Polis put the ball in their court. The options are more likely to be embraced in cities such as Denver, which already has a small-scale social-use licensing program, but they may have uh, but they may be eschewed by more conservative places such as Colorado Springs, which lobbied the legislator for the chance to say no. Advocates and supporters of the bill greeted Polis with applause for the afternoon signing, not least because his predecessor fellow Democrat John Hickenlooper had particularly worried about previous versions of the bill. He vetoed a tasting rooms bill last year. Lawmakers' approval and the governor's enthusiasm for signing them into law indicates the state is ready to move forward with fulfilling Amendment 64's promise to regulate marijuana like alcohol. Jordan Wellington of VS Strategies, a Denver lobbying firm that specializes in cannabis issues, said before the ceremony. What the new law says, so home delivery under House Bill 1234 can start first for medical marijuana to patients with red cards in January. A year later, at the start of the 2021, recreational shops and third-party delivery services will be able to get in the game. The new service could even use app-based ordering, through their, though there are significant security precautions required. Like I said with the Google thing, that's probably going to be a problem. The restrictions include not only that each town, city, or county gets to decide whether to opt in, but also they want to allow deliveries to residents within their borders from dispensaries based elsewhere. So if the town adjacent to you has the ability to deliver it, but your town does not, they can't deliver it to you. Which kind of sucks. In any case, college campuses and dormitories are off limits, and customers must meet age, the current thresholds, 18 for medical and 21 for recreational. Uh, social cons consumption under House Bill 1230 allows two types of businesses to get licensed starting in January. Taste rooms that can sell marijuana and marijuana products, and marijuana hospitality establishments which can't sell marijuana on site but can include tour buses. Interesting. For those establishments, patrons will bring their own marijuana. Good to know. The handful of businesses that have obtained license under Denver's voter-approved social use program will need to apply for the new state license by year's end to continue operating, and the new law may force questions for its city council to consider. So what happens next? Let the local discussions begin in extreme lobbying, not only by recreational marijuana users and industry advocates, but also by medical marijuana patients. Polis and the bill sponsor cited that the group 
as especially likely to benefit from delivery since some have difficulty traveling dispensaries or are homebound. And social spaces would help tourists, they said, while potentially reducing illegal outdoor public consumptions in parks and neighborhoods, where you don't want that thing to happen. <coughs> uh, state regulators are charged with creating rules for the new licenses, along with overseeing training requirements for employees of new hospitality and social use businesses. While Wellington called the new laws a big step forward, he said nothing has changed for marijuana users yet, but he's optimistic some cities will embrace the laws. While some localities may initially choose to opt out, we expect many will quickly reconsider as just as many cities and towns did when it came to regulating and allowing adult sales. So that's good to know. Now, the other article I found, which is from the Chicago Tribune, which may be out as a result of what we saw with the legalization is that too much legal marijuana. Last year's harvest alone may give Oregon a pot surplus of more than 1 billion joints. So Oregon is a wash in pot gutted with so much legal weed that if growing were to stop today, it could take more than six years by one estimate to smoke or eat it all. Now the state is planning to curb production. Five years after voters legalized recreational marijuana, Lawmakers have given the Oregon Liquor Control Commission more leeway to deny new pot growing licenses based on supply and demand. The bill, based in Oregon's House late Thursday in a 39-18 vote after it was approved earlier in the Senate, is aimed not at just reducing the huge surplus but also at preventing diversion of unsold legal marijuana into the black market and forestalling a crackdown by federal prosecutors. The harsh reality is we have too much product on the market, said Democratic Governor Kate Brown, who intends to sign the bill. Supplies running twice as high as demand, meaning that the surplus from last year's harvest alone could amount to roughly 2.3 million pounds of marijuana. By the Liquor Commission's figures, that's the equivalent of over 1 billion joints. Oregon has one of the highest such imbalances among the 10 states that have legalized recreational marijuana since 2012, in part because it had a big head start in the weed business. With its moist climate and rich soil, Oregon has a long history of pot growing. When it became legal, many outlaw growers went legitimate, and others jumped into the business too. They are now all cultivating weed in a multitude of fields, greenhouses, and converted factories with 1,123 active producer licenses issued by the OLLC over the past three years. The legalization could be a lifeline to some cannabis businesses that have been squeezed by market forces. Retail prices in Oregon for legal pot have plummeted from more than $10 per gram in October 2016 to less than $5 last December. At the same time, smaller where I wanted businesses are feeling competition from bigger, richer players, some from out of state. So officials worry that some license holders will become so desperate they will divert their product into the black market rather than see it go unsold. We're a very young industry, said Margot Lucas, a marijuana grower and vendor in the Willamette Valley, who is hoping the measure will give her business breathing room. She noted that growers can't seek federal bankruptcy protection, but it's still illegal under federal law, and banks avoid the industry, and that many owners have taken out personal loans to finance their businesses. So when we go out of business, we're going to go down hard, Lucas said. Many of us will lose our homes. We're going to have a lot of entrepreneurs in the state that are pretty unhappy with the way that this ends if we don't get support with this bill. Opponents say the proposed law will drive growers who are denied licenses into the legal market if they're not there already. The current track seems like a giant step backwards toward prohibition, which would have been, which has always been a disaster, Blake Runkle of Portland told lawmakers in written testimony. As of January, Oregon's recreational pot market has an estimated six and, a half year, six and a half years worth of supply, according to the OLCC study. To prevent excess pot that is still in leaf form from spoiling, processes are converting some into concentrates and edible products, which have a longer shelf life. 
U.S. Department officials have said they won't interfere in states' legal marijuana business as long as the pot isn't smuggled into other states and other standards are met. Oregon officials want to let federal authorities know they're doing everything they can to accomplish that. The bill's decryptal production could keep the feds off our back, Rob Bobbitt, legal counsel for the Association of Oregon Counties, told lawmakers. Oregon puts no cap on the number of licenses that can be issued. Last June, the OLCC stopped accepting applications so it could process a months-long backlog. Under current law, it has no specified authority no specific authority to say no to otherwise qualified applicants. The longer-term hope is that federal government will allow interstate commerce of marijuana, which would provide a major outlet for Oregon's renowned cannabis. We, are, we will kind of be like what bourbon is to Kentucky, said State F- Senator Floyd Przanski. So we're going to have to see, as the actually as more states legalize it, we'll see as probably as some, if they do allow cross-state transport, we could see Something like this feather out, and we could see probably a supply and demand kind of balancing act. But I'm sure once states like Illinois legalize, they're going to want to grow their own. But with Oregon's climate, we'll kind of see if they're going to become the gold standard in distribution or if it's going to be shared with California. I'm not quite sure. I know the West Coast has that whole thing kind of figured out. But I think that's more information I think I or a lot of you. Uh, would care to know about weed and if you're if you smoke it if you're interested in it, if you're really hoping your state's the next one to legalize it then hopefully you found this informative i know i found it a little bit informative and yeah so i guess that will do it for episode 21 of poor 360 as always i am andrew poor and you guys have a great week You've been listening to Poor360. You can find us on the socials at Poor360 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and all the other podcasts on our network at journeyintocomics.com or early access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can find us on all podcasting platforms like CastBox, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and many others.